Right. I'm glad to see you here this morning. We serve a great God, don't we? I, uh, so this morning, uh, Becky had been talking to me for a while about wanting to share her testimony on something very special, something very important in our lives going on, and uh, some things like that, very encouraging to us in a time of need, uh, so to speak. And so um, you just uh, listen to what she has to say. It's pretty good. It's probably not as good as what I would have to say. Denise, careful. All right, come on up. No. Okay, Um, most of you guys know me, and this is not my comfort zone. (laughs) Uh, This is way outside my comfort zone. I am a one-on-one and small group kind of person, so this is a stretch for me. But my desire to honor God is much greater than my desire to please myself. (laughs) So that's why I'm here. But um, I... I have felt led to share this for several weeks and have been just kind of pushing it aside. <laughs> but God said, now's the time to share this. And so um, some of you know all this story. Some of you know little bits and pieces here and there. And some of you have never heard a piece of this story. And so um, one of, I have a quote from Beth Moore, and it says, one of the greatest builders of our faith tomorrow is remembering ways that he has worked today. And so that's, that's my purpose behind this, is um, I've claimed a life verse for myself, and it's Philippians 1.6, and it's, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so that's a promise that I stand on and that I believe with my whole heart. And so um, this journey started um, about almost 10 years ago um, through a Bible study in this church, and the Bible study was called Believing God. And in that study, we were challenged to um, believe for God, believe God for things that seemed very difficult or even impossible. And so um, his cha- the challenge was to look for God in our everyday lives and everyday moments for the small things and for those great big things, okay? And so um, the first day of our journey, we were supposed to um, answer this question in our homework. It was, what was the biggest challenge that I had right before me? And what was my deepest desire about those challenges? And this is what I had written as my response. My biggest challenge was trusting you with Megan, who's our biological daughter, trusting you with Megan's life, and then discipline in my own life. And what was my deepest desire about that was to see God transform Megan's life and to see her sold out um, completely to God and for me to reflect God in every aspect of my life and my character. And so um, Megan was um, about 17 years old, and we were in a really tumultuous time in our lives with her. Um, she had been from age 
one, zero to ninth grade, the most easy child to ever raise. She was compliant and loving and giving and kind and generous. And just in our eyes, the perfect child. <laughs> and then high school hit. <laughs> and wow, did things change. And so this is my, this is my nervous stuff because <laughs> my mouth gets really dry when I talk. Mm. But what had happened in her life is that when she hit high school, she'd had this little relationship, you know, this little boyfriend thing with her um, Christian boyfriend in another town and all these things that, you know, they called their boyfriend. But there was nothing, you know, between them other than that word. And so on her first day of high school, he broke up with her. (laughs) And um, through that, another boy had um, a plan in his mind about this girl that was the pastor's daughter and how he was going to bring her down, basically. I mean, and, and those were words he said to other people. And so Megan started seeing this other boy, and right away red flags came up for us. It was not a good relationship. It was nobody that God would want in her life at all. <laughs> And so our instant response was, you need to get him out of your life. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good where this is going. And as teenagers do, that wasn't received well by her. <laughs> and so she went on to pursue her own desires in this relationship. And so um, I think most of you know that early in our life, up until I think it's been about well, 2005, I think, is when we last had foster kids in our home. But um, for 13 years, we took in children in our home and strays. <laughs> so they weren't all official foster placements, but the majority of them were. And we had close to 100 kids that lived in our home over those years. And so most of them were teenagers. And um, that was because not very many foster homes take in teenagers. And so... Um, God had just laid it on our hearts. Rick was a youth pastor at the time, and God had laid it on our hearts that we needed to open our home to those teens. And when Megan was very little, she would say, Mom, is it another troubled teen? And it was. I mean, she was surrounded by troubled teens and families and children. And so that was her upbringing. I said, we really messed her up. She was the youngest, the oldest, and only, and in the middle. So her poor little psyche is all messed up because of that. But um, that was God's call on our life, was to minister to those kids and our daughter. But um, what ended up happening in this relationship with this boy is in order for her to, to justify the, the things, the sin in her life that, she, that was happening, she got into drugs, and that numbed her enough to get into a sexual re- relationship. And I'm sharing these things because I, I called Megan last night, and I asked her, um, this is my stuff, but this is also her stuff. And I didn't want to dishonor her by sharing it with you if she didn't want me to share it. And her response was, if it will help anyone then I want you to share it, and you can share whatever you need to share. And so this is with her permission and blessing. So um, 
she got into this relationship deep. And, you know, we tried everything as parents. We tried the no, you can't, or the yes, you can, but only under our authority and in these, these confines, and this is how it's going to look. But nothing helped. Nothing worked. Nothing um, impacted her. She had a boyfriend who was um, just feeding her mind with lies. He told her, if you break up with me, I'm going to kill myself. He told her things like, um, I, you know, this is God's will for us. You know, this is, this is what God wants. And, uh, you know, just lie after lie. Um, his parents, at one point, Megan did break up with him. His parents called us, crying, saying, please don't let her break up with him. She's the only thing that's good in his life right now. She, he needs her. And so we had no support from the other side. We had actually undermining from the other side. Um, whenever we'd set down boundaries, they didn't care. They would override them. They told her, you can come live with us. And so we were devastated, to say the least. But I was going through this study, believing God. <laughs> and I started out that week one. Well, week three, things really broke. Um, Everything fell completely apart. She had left one night with him, and she was the one that had the car, so she drove everywhere. And um, she was, um, she knew some of what was happening. She wasn't totally informed on everything that was going on that night. But they left for a drug deal. And her boyfriend had... Um, this plan to meet up with these guys, do a drug deal, and then in her mind, that's what it was. She knew that much. But he, he had her use her phone to call them to set up where they're going to meet. She was driving the car, and um, they met up with these people. Well, this part, she said she didn't know, and he had a gun with him. And he ended up beating up those drug dealers, and leaving with the money and the drugs, and they tried to, to drive off, and um, the people that they beat up followed them. And they followed them down the mountain. Um, Megan said they almost crashed. They could have killed themselves, but they're trying to get away from these guys. And so she came back home, even by curfew, I think, <laughs> and walked in the house, by this point in her life, she'd become very good at lying. And we said, hi, Harris, everything? Oh, good, fine, everything's fine, good night. So we went to bed. And a little bit later, and this is something our kids could never understand, is that as a parent and foster parent, we had a network. <laughs> and so any time that these kids were doing something they weren't supposed to do, it got back to us. And they could never figure out how. But there was another girl that was staying with us at the time, and she woke us up and she said, Megan's left and this is why. And so she told us what was going on. So Rick and I um, were just at a crossroads. We just prayed for God to give us wisdom on what to do. And what we had to do was we had to call the police and tell them what had happened and that our daughter was on the run. And so that happened that night. The next morning, 
I was scheduled to leave for training for a new job out of town. And I don't, I look back and go, I don't know how I did this, but I did. <laughs> I left knowing what was going on with Megan. We had no idea where she was at that point. But I had made a commitment that I had to follow through on, and I went. But God was sovereign in that because he had a plan for me in that because he wanted it to be me and him. I wasn't going to depend on Rick to get me through this. I wasn't going to depend on people around me. It was me and him. And so I ended up in a hotel room in Leadville, and I would go to my training in the morning, and I'd come back at night and just lay prostrate on the floor, just begging for God to show me what to do, to show me how to pray for her, to show me what he wanted from us. And so God met me so powerfully. I can't even tell you the things that he did through that experience, and I will never forget them, and I will never be the same because of them. But, I mean, I, I opened my Bible because I was like, I don't even know what to pray for. And this, this um, Bible bookmark fell out. I had Megan's name on it. I mean, this wasn't, this wasn't my handwriting. This was a Bible bookmark that said Megan and had this verse with it. Well, somebody in the church, maybe a couple weeks earlier, who went to garage sales, had found this bookmark and said, this is for you. It has Megan's name on it. I just stuffed it in my Bible. <laughs> Probably didn't even read it. Just put it, put it away. Well, it fell out, and it said, Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and he will exalt you in due time. And so I knew exactly what I needed to pray for Megan was for her to humble herself under God's hand. And so that was my overriding prayer during this whole time. And so um, I went on to like another night or maybe even that night. After I got done praying, I went to sleep, flipped on the alarm so I'd wake up because I was like up most of the night. <laughs> and so flipped that on. I woke up to this song, and it was K-Love Radio Station. I hadn't said it there. And um, there, there was the end, tail end of a song. Then it went into Open the Eyes of My Heart. And then the very next song was a song I'd never heard before. It was brand new. And I'm going to read you the lyrics. But it was called The Voice of Truth. It says, oh, what I would do to have the kind of faith it takes to climb out of this boat I'm in, onto the crashing waves, to step out of my comfort zone, to the realm of the unknown where Jesus is, and he's holding out his hand. But the waves are calling out my name, and they laugh at me, reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The waves, they kept on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win, you'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. And the voice of truth says, do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says, this is for my glory. And of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. So every single step of the way, God just met me in my need. And Rick called me, I think it was maybe day two into the days that I was up there and they'd found Megan and her boyfriend and they'd found him in Fort Collins. Um, she had told the person that you know, informed us they were headed to Pennsylvania to get out of, you know, get away. 
and they'd found them in Fort Collins, and the police arrested them at gunpoint, put them flat on the ground, and handcuffed them, took them to jail. So here we are. I'm over here. Rick's over here. Megan's over here. And all I could do was just trust and believe that God's going to take care of this. God's going to see her through this. And so we had people praying all the time for us through this. My little small groups of believing God included some of the people here today. Pam Jarrett was one of them. Jenny Jarrett was one of them. Sherry Brown was one of them. Carol Saka was doing the study in a different group, but praying for her. Janie Hughes, Bobby Rao, they all were praying for Megan besides the church body. None of this was hidden from them. None of it was kept secret. Everyone was praying for God to do a work in her life and her heart. So Megan spent 10 days in jail. And I was over in Fort Collins. I had to go see her one of those days, have her come out of a jail cell to talk to us. And then we had to face the court. And what God had laid on our heart was, you're not her defender. I'm her defender. I don't want you to get a lawyer. I don't want you to do anything. Because our heart was, we wanted her to have enough consequences that it would make a difference in her life. And we didn't want to interfere. And we didn't know what that looked like. So we just gave it to God. So we went to court. And we're sitting in that courtroom. We have social workers around us that we'd worked with, with their, the kids that they'd placed in our home. They're crying. We're crying. It was, it was the most intense time. And the judge that was supposed to be there didn't, wasn't there that day for some reason. A different judge came and was assigned. So he had, knew nothing about the case. The DA's recommendation was going to be that she not get jail time and that she would serve probation. And then the probation officer surprised us at court and came up and said she felt like she needed some jail time. And I think the recommendation was three years. So the judge just kept reading through this documents. And I mean, it was probably 10 minutes of dead silence in that room. You could have heard a pin drop. Everyone was just waiting to see, you know, what was going to happen. And so finally the judge looked at Rick and he said, well, I see you don't have any representation. Is there anything that you want to say? And so he said, yes. He said, I know my daughter and I've seen a brokenness in her and a remorse in her. And I think she's truly sorry. And we had. We had seen God do an amazing change in her heart. And that was the first time she ever even considered severing her relationship with this boy. It was done. It was over. And so he said, I don't think jail time is going to serve her any good. I think it's going to make her more hardened. I think it's going to give her more ideas and, and um, 
wise, and I just I feel like she needs to be under our care and authority where we can be responsible and take care of her. And then he asked me, and again, I'm not comfortable with this at all, but I felt like I had to speak on her behalf. And what I told the judge is, and I'm not excusing any of this behavior because she had choices and made choices, and we had choices and we made some bad choices. We didn't do everything right. But what we, our heart was is we had opened our home to all these kids that were so terribly dysfunctional that, that abnormal became normal in her life. I mean, it was not anything for her to hear about parents in jail, them in jail, you know, all the drugs that they used, none of that. That all just was just common in her life. And so I said, Megan is a tender-hearted person, and she's seen for all of these years that we just want to help people, and we want to help them change and, and let them you know, have a, a place that's, that's trusting and, and that they, these kids can have something different. And her heart was she thought she could change this boy, but it didn't work that way. He changed her. And, and so I just said, I really don't agree with jail time either. And so the judge just looked back and forth. And, and finally he said, I don't know why I'm doing this. She, had, she was 17 years old. She could have had eight felonies against her because of all the drugs in the two counties and the gun. And he said, I don't know why I'm doing this. But they lowered it to one count. She wasn't charged as an adult. So if she kept herself clean for the two-year probation... She could actually have her record expunged if she wanted to, but it was under 18, so it didn't have to affect her the rest of her life. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. So we get her out and through that, and we think, okay, that was the big one. We're done. We're on the way up. And it did get better. But a little bit down the road... She met a different boy, whose name was Tony Smedra. And so um, within a year, she was ready to be married. Um, Tony was raised with a Catholic background, but while he was seeing Megan, while they were dating, he made a profession for Christ, Rick baptized him. And so he was a Christian when they got married, but a very young Christian, a very baby Christian. And so their life wasn't just this piece of cake, and it hasn't been. It's been um, a lot of ups and downs. They've been married for eight eight years now, and we've seen um, just a lot of good and a lot of hard through it. But um, this last year, we kind of came to another crossroads with them, and this time last year, they weren't talking to us because we had taken a stand that we felt like God really had laid on our hearts. And it's not that we didn't love them, but we just had to just back away and say, you know what, we still love you, we still you know, want to see you, talk to you, but this is what we have to stand on. And so they spent a few months not talking to us. And um, then God just started to soften Tony's heart. Um, he used a lot of different circumstances in his life, but um, 
by around, I think, late February, early March, they had started talking to us again. And Megan, you know, um, there was never a true apology, but there was some remorse about not, not talking to us. And so then they came out last summer, and before they got here, Rick and I had been talking about some things that were on our hearts with him. And we felt like part of Tony's um, struggle had to do with that he'd never found what his purpose was in God's plan in his life. And so Rick really felt led to talk to him while they were out here. And they spent, you know, a couple hours talking about what it looks like to follow God's plan in your life. And, you know, our heart was never, um, it was always that you do whatever God's called you to do, but just do it for him and for his glory and put your whole heart into it. You need to go and get involved in a church and, and you know, see where your ministry is because God has something for you and God wants to use you. I mean, he has the most tender servant heart, and, but he was using it all for worldly things. And so that's how they left last summer. Well, right around Thanksgiving, one of the things that had been an issue that we were lacking in was a lot of times when we'd call them, we'd just call Megan because they have two separate phones, and so we'd usually use her phone number and call and talk to her, and so we didn't really engage with Tony as much as we should have, and so Rick was making that effort, and so he called him and just to check on him, see how he's doing, ask him a few questions. And Tony answered the phone, and he's just like, wow, this is such a God thing. <laughs> he said, I was just, you know, out chopping wood, praying, thinking, you know, on these things that God's laid on my heart, and I was thinking about calling you, but here you are calling me. This is definitely a God thing. And Rick's, Rick's just like <laughs> beaming, and I'm, you know, overhearing on the side of the phone the things that he's saying, and he's just saying, God has just put this burning in my heart, and I, there's, he's just doing such a work, and he has something he wants from me, and um, I just am feeling led to surrender to the ministry. <laughs> to surrender to the ministry. <laughs> and I, I mean, you cannot believe what that did for our hearts. I mean, I, I could care less whether he's a pastor, but oh my gosh, <laughs> what a joy. I mean, I, want, I just want him to serve God. But that's, that's where he's, he's put that desire in his heart now. And, you know, we went out there for Christmas, and we have seen such a change in both of them. It's just incredible. Um, I, got a, I mean, I get calls from Megan now just to talk to me about what God's doing in her life. It's, it's amazing. And so my heart that I want to share with you is that this is a 10-year journey. Okay. It wasn't easy and it wasn't overnight. And there was a lot of times that I just kept thinking, God, are you there? Are you in it? Is it, is it coming? <laughs> but I just kept holding on to those truths and that, that belief that God's going to work all of this for good because that's his promise. And so, I mean, it's, it's just been so sweet to see how God's worked that way. And I don't know if many of you know this, but 10 years prior to that, there was another experience in Megan's life that was 
extremely traumatic. She was six years old and then a freak accident. She was um, knocked down and ended up with a traumatic brain injury and had to have emergency surgery. And some other friends got that call in the middle of the night. Dan and Terry were fellow church members. And they prayed for her and prayed for a miracle. And what could have left her either mentally disabled or even taken her life left nothing. She was, she was miraculously and completely healed. On four days she was out of the hospital and in two weeks she was back in school. And so we have always known that God has a purpose and a plan for her life and for the life of her family and for the lives of my grandchildren. And so letting them go and, you know, when they said they were moving to Michigan, I think most of you know that was a huge struggle for me. It was one of the hardest things was to release them and say, okay, you're in God's hands. Because at that point, I wasn't seeing godly instruction for their children. I wasn't seeing them living their life for Christ. And I'm thinking, who's going to do it? I'm not even going to have an influence in their lives. But God's so much bigger than that. And so I just want to encourage you guys today that don't give up your faith. Keep holding on. Keep believing. Keep those promises before you because doubt's going to creep in. And when that doubt creeps in, you go to God's word and you say, nope, this is what it says. And I'm believing it. Okay. And we can have as much of God as we want. That's our choice. The size of our portion is up to us. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself. He's not going to impose himself. But if we ask, he's going to give. And we can have as much of him as we want. And that's all I have. She's pretty awesome. I am. I just have a little to add to that story. As uh, you know, we went out there this Christmas. Um, Tony's feeling led to start uh, an in-home Bible study there that may develop into um, a home church there. Uh, We're still trying to figure out how that's going to work and how that's going to look. At one of our last business meetings, I don't know if you know this, but we as a church, this is why you need to come to business meetings, but our church uh, had decided to support them in a way of where we're going to send them materials and things that we've used that we're not using anymore to give them uh, some things. Tony and I talk. Um, one of the things that we're talking about doing on our Monday night Bible study is Skyping him and his father in so that they can meet the men of this church. We're talking about having some of the men become mentors to him, which is all stuff we'll be talking about uh, that we share once a week calling Tony. I have a church planter who I'm going to have talk to Tony um, and, and invest in him. But as we went out at Christmas time, Many of you have heard about the, the man that I spoke with there uh, for a couple hours about Christ and giving his life to Christ, and his name's Dave. Um, I don't know that I ever said it. Um, maybe I did. Maybe some of you already knew this, but Dave is Tony's father. Um, Dave was a, a, devout, a devout Catholic. Um, again, I'm not dissing on Catholicism, but what he was telling me as I was talking to him, he said, I was this Catholic, but all I was learning was rituals. I wasn't, I've never talked or heard about this relationship that my son is talking about, and I haven't 
heard about this relationship that you're telling me about now and and just met with him for about two, two and a half hours and and just was speaking about Christ. And he's just on the edge. And I'm saying, I say, Dave, what stops you from giving your life to Christ? And he says, me. He says, Dave stops me. He says, you know, I, I'm a pretty good guy. I, I haven't had a lot of trouble. And just a lot of the things that we hear, you know, and, and I explain some things to him. And in the middle of that, and, and you know how when you're, you're sharing Christ with somebody and you, 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 you're seeing the potential of them giving their life to Christ, you get a little gung-ho. And in the middle of that, God said, Rick, stop. Stop. And it, it didn't make sense to me. I was like, but God, he's there. I can, I can reel him in. God said, stop. And why I believe God said that is I believe that God is part of, of growing Tony in his ministry, or for whatever reason, I believe Tony's going to lead his father to Christ. See, we don't know where it's going to come from. Fathers, we need to lead our children to Christ. But let me tell you something, fathers, if you're not, not willing to lead your sons and daughters to Christ, they may just very well lead you. Amen? And I just thought, wow, isn't God good? But again, we need to hear His voice and His truth and not ours. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, we're going to sing a song here. Maybe this has spoken to your heart this morning and, and maybe you need to come with your sons and daughters. I don't know. Maybe you need to come up and just kneel and pray with them or, or maybe you need to come yourself and pray about situations that you're in or you're struggling with. Maybe you as families just need to get together and, and begin to see even the little things that God still is doing in our lives. I was talking to Brian this morning. We, we tend to miss the little things that God's doing in our lives. God's still at work. We just kind of take them for granted or overlook them. So maybe there's some things we need to do today as families. And as the family of God, God has drawn us together. He's knit us together. We're His children, celebrating and worshiping Him together as we're called to. Amen? So I'm going to encourage you to come this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just...